This is Our People and Mother Earth on KWSO. We've come a long way since the COVID-19 pandemic was declared in 2020. Significant strides have been made in vaccinations, treatments, and staying safe. But it's important to remember that COVID-19 is still here. Recent data indicated a rise in cases in Oregon, moving a majority of counties into a high community transmission level. Public health authorities are urging people to stay up to date with the COVID-19 vaccines and boosters, to get tested if they have symptoms, and to wear masks in public spaces. Moving forward, people should expect changes in prevention measures when and where they are necessary because this is a constantly changing virus. Dr. Thomas Weiser is a medical epidemiologist with the Portland Area Indian Health Service. I've been with the Portland Area Indian Health Service since 2007 after I spent two years with CDC in the Epidemic Intelligence Service, learning about outbreaks and epidemics and pandemics and preparing for the avian flu epidemic that um, was a problem in Asia, but not too big of a problem here. And um, I'm here to talk with you a little bit about COVID-19 and, and vaccines and other things that we can do to, to keep each other safe. The variant uh, landscape for covid has been changing. A lot of people are aware we had the big Omicron surge in the beginning of uh, January, end of December. And uh, that was uh, Omicron, you know, first version. And then we got Omicron 2, BA2, and now we've got BA4 and BA5 are the new variants on the block. And just this past week, the percentage of isolates uh, that were related to uh, BA4 and BA5 increased to become more than 50%. So that's now the dominant strain or the dominant variant that's circulating across the country. And we're seeing it in Oregon and, and, you know, in all areas. And there's not too much difference between BA4, BA5 and the BA1, BA2 that we've had since, uh, since January. It may be a, a little bit more transmissible, if you can imagine that, because when Omicron first came on the scene, everybody was getting COVID. And so it was highly transmissible, much more than Delta or previous variants. And this BA4, BA5 is a little more transmissible, which means it can be caught more easily. As far as severity, it's probably about the same level of severity as Omicron 1 and 2. And that means that, you know, a lot of people will have mild illness, but some people still get hospitalized and some people still die from COVID. And the vast majority of those people who end up hospitalized or dying are people who have not been vaccinated or else have other underlying conditions that makes it harder for them to fight off this virus. Vaccines and boosters remain the best public health measure to protect people and reduce the likelihood of new variants emerging. Vaccines are available to anyone aged six months or older. The newest thing in vaccines is that now we have vaccines for the smallest of children. And some parents have been anxiously awaiting those vaccines, wondering when they can get a vaccine for their child so they can be protected. And so now we have vaccines available for ages six months to five years of age. And prior to that, we had already vaccines available from five and above. So that's a really important new development. And one of the things about these vaccines for the youngest children is it's the exact same formulation that we've been giving to older kids and adults now for over a year and a half. And the safety profile is really strong. And so hopefully parents will be reassured that they're getting the same vaccine that they themselves might have gotten 
and um, and that that will be providing them good protection and will not make them sick. The efficacy of those vaccines in these smaller children has been studied and the efficacy is in the 70 to 80 percent range for preventing infection. The time when they did those trials, though, was during Omicron. And so uh, we know that these vaccines are less able to prevent infection from the newer variants that are spreading around. But they still, even though they don't prevent infection, they still do prevent hospitalization and death. And that's a really important thing to keep in mind, that there are other vaccines that we give, flu vaccine probably most famously. A lot of people get the flu vaccine. They say, oh, I got the flu. I'm not going to get the flu vaccine anymore. But the difference is, is if you got the flu vaccine and then you got the flu later, you didn't end up in the hospital and you didn't die. And that's a really important distinction. And we're seeing the same thing kind of with these COVID vaccines right now that they don't exactly match the current variant that's going around, but they still provide protection against severe disease. And I think one of the things that I would like to stress too is that people think, well, you know, kids get COVID and they're fine. That's not entirely true. So we've had probably about 2 million cases in our youngest children with um, about 20,000 hospitalizations. And about two weeks ago, the count was about 209 deaths So these small, most vulnerable uh, children can get severely ill and they can die from COVID. So it's not always a benign, just a cold kind of disease. It can be really serious. And the thing is, is we can't predict which kids are going to get really sick and which kids won't. Of the kids who were hospitalized for COVID, half of them had no identifiable underlying risk factor that you would think, oh, this kid's going to get really sick. Half of them did not have anything wrong with them other than they had COVID and they got hospitalized because they had severe illness. And that's, the, that's probably, to me, the most compelling reason that all parents should really consider strongly getting their kids vaccinated because you don't know which kids are going to get sick and which kids won't. And if you get the vaccine, you're giving them a fighting chance of not getting very sick. The vaccine for young children is now available at the Warm Springs Clinic, along with other vaccines and boosters for the virus. Dr. Thomas Weiser is our guest. He's a medical epidemiologist with the Portland Area Indian Health Service. He says all of the precautions and recommendations help to slow the spread of the virus, which is vital to protecting people, healthcare workers, and addressing variants such as Omicron. The more we are able to vaccinate our population, the less uh, there will be susceptible people for the virus to land in and cause illness, particularly severe illness. And both Pfizer and Moderna, the companies that make the current mRNA vaccines, are working on vaccines that have a new message mRNA piece in them, which is specific for Omicron. So those trials are underway. We're hoping that those vaccines will become available in the fall. That could be a real game changer because then not only will those vaccines help prevent severe illness, they might prevent infection and replication of the virus and and help prevent transmission. Of course, we could have a different uh, variant circulating by then. Um, And, you know, we may always be, you know, playing catch up a little bit. But the, the vaccines really help reduce the strain on the healthcare system, which has been so severely impacted. Uh, so many uh, healthcare providers, nurses, and doctors are leaving healthcare because of the, the physical and emotional toll 
that COVID has taken on them. So we want to do everything we can to keep our healthcare system strong and robust. We want to do everything we can to help kids get back into normal activities and school and daycare and things like that. And vaccines is one of those important things that we can do. When cases rise, like they are currently in Jefferson County, where you know most of the counties now in, in Oregon have turned red from yellow or green just a couple of weeks ago, that just means that you know, there's more transmission. We're seeing more positivity of tests that are being conducted and um, more hospitalizations, and there's more transmission in those communities. When that happens, we need to be ready to pivot back to putting our masks on and when maybe we've gotten used to not wearing them. And, you know, you have to ask yourself, how important is it for people to see my face right now? You know, am I, am I going someplace where it's really important that they know how I look and, and how I feel by looking at my face? Or is it okay for me to wear a mask because I'm just going to get some potato chips and hot dogs? Um, and not that I'm con- condoning potato chips and hot dogs. <laughs> you know, you have, to, you have to ask yourself, when is it most important to wear a mask? And, you know, we know that masks work. They stop those droplets from leaving our mouth, leaving our face, and spreading into the air to other people. And that's how masks work. And we know that that makes a huge difference. It allows us to be able to do things indoors, in person, without uh, putting each other at risk. And, you know, that's why when CDC made their recommendations um, at the beginning of this year with the Omicron, saying, well, you know, if you've got COVID and you're getting better, you don't have a fever, you can, you know, go back to things like work as long as you're not a healthcare provider. And you can do that by wearing a mask safely. And so that's because masks do work to stop the spread of those droplets and stop the spread of disease. We have to be really diligent, though. We have to make sure we're always wearing it, not just over our mouth, but over our nose and our mouth. It has to be well-fitting. Cloth masks are okay if you're um, not a healthcare worker and you're not around someone who's uh, severely immunocompromised. But if you're around an elder or someone who has underlying medical conditions, you should step up and put on a better mask. Put on a surgical mask or one of these KN95s that are out there um, because those do a much better job at uh, stopping those particles from spreading uh, from your face. Testing for COVID-19 is widely available. Warm Springs Community Health recommends using a home test kit if you've been around someone positive for COVID-19. Their guidance is to take a test on the first day of contact. If it's negative, test again after five days or sooner if you develop symptoms. Anyone who tests positive with a home test kit should call the clinic to report it. Cases of the virus are rising in our community and all around the country. It remains important to take precautions and protect yourself. You know, there's been a lot of talk about whether this is still the pandemic or the endemic. And you go to some places in Oregon and people have already forgotten the pandemic. They're like, what pandemic? Look, the, this virus is still circulating. Uh, we're seeing uh, the, the, the degree of circulation, the degree of transmission. Uh, it ebbs and flows. It increases and then it decreases. If you look at the, the United States maps, some states that were in the high red uh, a few weeks ago are now green. And now places like Oregon, which were green, are now red. So we know that it changes a lot. And we need to be flexible in how we respond to those changes. We need to be able to to take responsibility and do the thing that we can do that helps prevent people from getting sick. And that's, you know, testing often, 
Uh, we have tests available. If you go to the clinic, if you go to the tribe, you can get free tests. You can order them uh, through the mail to be delivered to your home. These tests are really good to help you know whether or not you're still transmitting the virus, whether whether you've been infected. And uh, we do recommend that people test. And if you have a positive test, then contact uh, the community health, let them know uh, that you have a positive test so they can get you hooked up with things to help you, whether it's food or medicine or something like that. The other thing is we do have treatments available. We haven't talked about that yet, but that's another big game changer here. So whereas before, you know, if you think back to the early days of the pandemic, we had no vaccines, we had no treatments, and, you know, people were really dying at a rapid rate. That has has changed a lot now. We have treatments that if you get uh, those treatments started within a couple of days of getting the virus, they can really make a huge difference in you recovering. 85% of people who take the Paxlovid medication don't require hospitalization. It's really a, a good treatment for those that are most susceptible. And so we have age criteria and underlying medical condition criteria that we use when we recommend getting those treatments. And not everyone can take them because of certain drug interactions and things like that. So we want to be safe about it, but we want to make sure that people know that they can, uh, if they do test positive, they can contact the clinic, they can get access to these medications, which make a big difference. So we're in this phase where COVID is still a problem, still an issue. We, it's not something you want to give to your grandmother. Okay, give her, give her a salmon or something, but don't give her COVID. You know, that's so important. And we have things that we can do to prevent us from passing this along to others. So are we in the endemic phase? That just means low, constantly circulating, underlying levels of disease. Not exactly. It is here with us, and, and, and even when we're in the green zone, there's still some cases happening. That's sort of that endemic kind of feel. But we have these sporadic outbreaks and, and increases. That's still part of a, a dying a pandemic, so to speak. Um, so we're getting a, hand, a handle on this. We're getting ahead of it, but we're not done yet. COVID is still an issue, and we need to pay attention to it. Um, we've got a window of opportunity. Summertime is here. More things are happening outdoors. The weather's been good. And so we can enjoy ourselves and we can take advantage of this uh, relative lull that we've had to come in and get vaccinated to make sure that everyone that is in our circle is well protected and well cared for. The Warm Springs Tribal Council recently accepted the recommendations of the local COVID-19 response team and updated protocols for the tribal organization, increasing precautions to help slow the spread. It's a step that health authorities want to see happen as they face widespread increases in cases and new dominant variants. Dr. Weiser says vaccines are important tools in helping to stop the pandemic. He addresses a common reason that people opt to not get the vaccine. There are lots of reasons why people did not decide to get a vaccine early on. Some people were um, in the camp of wait and see, you know, what happens. And I think if, if you're in that camp, waiting and seeing means that, well, millions and millions of doses of vaccine have been administered and the safety profile of the mRNA vaccines is really strong. Um, the most commonly reported side effect that's of real significance is this issue of myocarditis, which is an inflammation of the heart that um, is seen more commonly in younger uh, people. 
18 to 25-year-olds um, and a little bit younger, and a little bit more in males and females. But myocarditis, when it's been associated with these vaccines, has always been very self-limited. People get sick, they get, they get medical care, they may get hospitalized, they usually don't need to be in the ICU, they recover fully in almost all cases. Whereas you can get myocarditis from other infections most commonly, and even from COVID itself. And people, when they get myocarditis from an infection like COVID or another virus, they have a much more serious illness. They're more likely to end up in the ICU, more likely to need a heart transplant or to die from that myocarditis. And about uh, 25% of them don't have a full recovery. So people are concerned about that. But if you're in the wait-and-see camp, you've seen that we've given now millions and millions of doses of these vaccines, and only a handful of cases of this myocarditis have developed. Home test kits are how most people test for the virus now. If a person has a positive test, they're asked to report that to public health, but that doesn't always happen. Dr. Weiser says that it's been a real challenge and could underestimate the actual prevalence of COVID-19. Something that is done in Warm Springs is wastewater monitoring to detect an increase in COVID-19 in the community. There's been some estimates by the modeling community that maybe the reported cases is only about you know 10% of what is actually out there. So if that's the tip of the iceberg, then there's a lot more COVID out there than we are aware of. Uh, wastewater surveillance is one of the things that Warm Springs is one of the few tribes that stepped up in doing this. And I'm really you know, proud and excited that that is, is happening here. I really commend the tribe for that decision. It uh, gives us a, a, another way of knowing another level of reassurance of how much transmission is going on. And when we see that the wastewater um, levels increase, sometimes that happens before we know that there's an increase in community tests or clinic tests and hospitalizations and things like that. So those wastewater uh, surges can give us a, a one or two week heads up that, hey, you know, things are picking up again and we need to be prepared. So it's really valuable, especially now when people are doing home tests and maybe not reporting those home tests. Thank you to our guest, Dr. Thomas Weiser, medical epidemiologist with the Portland Area Indian Health Service. I'm Liz Smith for Our People and Mother Earth on KWSO.